MSW Media. A big thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. Today, America celebrates Independence Day with another mass shooting. The Oath Keepers' defense to seditious conspiracy charges takes shape. Donald eyes another run for the White House in 2024. And experts say Hutchinson's testimony shatters a Trump defense of no criminal intent. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. So another mass shooting in America today, Dana. Indeed. Um, I don't even understand the holiday. I, I can't comprehend celebrating this holiday at all today. So it just feels like Monday. Um, there's so many things fucked up in this country right now when it comes to independence, including um, all of our autonomy as women and people that can conceive. I, I just, we're having a day, people. I'm sure you are as well. By the time you hear this, I hope that you've had a moment of reprieve, but Today, things are not 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 great. Not great. Yeah. And uh, I will be talking with Andy McCabe up at the top of the hot notes to discuss how this investigation is probably playing out. Uh, He's done this several times, unfortunately. And uh, this shooter, this shooter from Highland Park is still on the loose at the time of this recording. So we're going to discuss what that investigation looks like at the top of the hot notes. And then later in the show, I'm going to be interviewing the author of The Invisible Storm. And uh, it's um, out today, and his name is Jason Kander, so you'll want to stick around for that. And then, of course, we will have the good news, which we desperately need at the end of the show. So if you have any good news, you can send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. All right, that is uh, the outline of the show. Let's jump in. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Six are dead and another 24 have been injured in a mass shooting during an Independence Day parade by an 18 to 20 year old white male with a high powered rifle shooting from an elevated position. And we were supposed to talk to Andy McCabe tonight about this story, but he's been tied up on CNN covering this all day as law enforcement looked for the shooter. I'll give you the rundown that we have at this time. The shooter, who is now known to law enforcement, has been taken into custody. Online sleuths peg him as a Trump supporter. He's been to several Trump rallies. There's photos and videos of him at those rallies circulating. His father apparently had a business in the area that had been closed down just three months prior, I think. Something like that are are the rumors that are coming out about what people online have been able to find out about this guy. Apparently, he fired 60 rounds in 22 seconds from what is believed to be an AR-15. I repeat, he was taken into custody by law enforcement at about 7.30 p.m. Central Time. No motive has been established at this time. They just got him. And law enforcement is waiting to make a determination on whether this was an act of terror or not, meaning whether it was politically motivated. And we will have more for you as this story develops. A.G., thank you so much for that. Uh, My first story right now, Donald Trump may soon officially announce he's going to run for the presidency because he's having a fit about the dirt revealed on him in the hearings investigating the Capitol riot 
and because he has, quote, all the impulse control of a freaking toddler. And that's from a former GOP official on Saturday. Now, that is true. This is a quote. At the end of the day, he's going to do whatever he wants. He's shown that time and time again. And that's Kurt Bardella. And he's a former deputy communications director of the GOP-controlled House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. That's what he told MSNBC. He's now a Democrat, by the way, and a news commentator. So he's really, you know, Trump, what he's done, he's got a, a few people to switch parties, that's for sure. Went on to say, this guy has the impulse control of a freaking toddler. So nobody should be surprised at that at all. I think the Republicans, yeah, this is the golem they created. And that's what he said during that interview. Now, Bardella was responding to a New York Times story Friday that Trump is hoping a stepped-up announcement, there's hoping a stepped-up announcement about going for the presidency, yet again, is going to distract the general public, okay, from what is being called the stream of damaging revelations, which is clear, and it could officially declare he's entering the race as early as this month. So he thinks this is going to keep him out of prison. Now, this is a quote we all know from past experiences. Donald Trump doesn't care about anybody else but Donald Trump. Again, that's Bardella. He told MSNBC host Alex Witt went on to say, so it doesn't surprise me that when faced with the criticism that he's been mounting right now following the January 6th hearings, that he's thinking about pulling the trigger now. Horrible choice of words, because at this point, I wouldn't put it past him actually shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. (laughs) Now, that timing will likely, quote, ruin things for the Republicans ahead of the midterms as more negative testimony taints the candidate. And that's also from Bardella. But it's what Republicans deserve for tying their future to Trump. Bardella is definitely going in hard after him right now and the Republicans, which is a beautiful thing. And he went on to say, you know what, Donald? Go out there. Show everybody who you are. What do you want to do? implode the Republican Party before November. So Bardella's thinking, fucking do this because you're going to tank everyone for the midterms. I would be on board for that. He went on to say these guys have wanted to divorce themselves from Donald Trump for the last five years. They just have lacked courage, the ability, and the guts to actually do it. And that was, again, Bardella. And behind the scenes, he said they are rooting for the January 6th committee. So Republicans are really wanting for him to be taken out so that they're not crossing him, basically, because we know what happens when someone crosses this guy. Now, Bardella claimed that, quote, nobody was more excited about the powerful testimony early this week by Cassidy Hutchinson, then who? Republicans who want to dispense with Trump. Yeah, agreed. And uh, speaking of Hutchinson, George Conway and Randall Eliason have a new op-ed out in the Washington Post you need to check out. They say if Donald Trump is ever criminally charged for his efforts to remain in power after losing in 2020, the central issue would be his state of mind. Did he act with criminal intent? Or was he just innocently though aggressively pursuing all possible avenues of lawful recourse to remedy what he truly believed was a stolen election. His potential defense of lack of criminal intent was flimsy to begin with. But after Tuesday's devastating testimony from former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, it lies in tatters. Proving Trump's culpable state of mind just got a whole lot easier for prosecutors. And that's Eliasson and Conway. With Hutchinson's testimony, they say we now know that Trump was aware But some of his supporters were armed when he urged them to march on the Capitol and fight. Quote, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. They can march to the Capitol from here. That's what Hutchinson recalls Trump saying. Trump didn't even care about the risk to his own vice president. According to Hutchinson, Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, said Trump wasn't worried about the protesters' chance of hang Mike Pence and thought Mike deserved it. And she said Trump's own White House counsel warned that if Trump were to go ahead with his own plans to lead the march on the Capitol, Quote, we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable. That's Patsy Baloney. 
The evidence of Trump's corrupt intent was already pretty strong, Conway continues. The January 6th committee earlier presented extensive evidence of his pressure on state officials to alter election results, his scheme to corrupt the Justice Department and enlist it in his efforts, and his relentless pushing of the big lie despite repeatedly being told by his own people that there was no election fraud. But Hutchinson's testimony might well have put the case over the top. She tied Trump directly to the assault on the Capitol itself, the violent culmination of weeks of acts aimed at obstructing the peaceful transition of power. Now he can no longer plausibly claim, if he ever could, that this was just a peaceful protest gone bad. Some argue that prosecutors could face difficulty proving criminal intent if it appears that Trump sincerely believed he won the election. But that argument is misguided, they say. Even if Trump believed, however implausibly, that there really had been massive voter fraud, that would establish only his motive for acting, not his intent. And there's a difference between intent and motive. But a righteous motive is not a defense. Put simply, criminal acts motivated by an honest belief in the justness of one's cause are still criminal acts. And Conway brings up again that O.J. Simpson example that we talked about, the robbery one, not the not the, uh, you know, the one that he got away with and how, you know, you can't rob your stuff back at gunpoint. It's Even still- <laughs> if you believe something's true, you can't commit a crime to yeah. make it to, to prove it. Right. Or to fix it. Correct. And he says it's still relevant, though, that Trump actually did know he lost the election. That knowledge can be shown by willful blindness. That's a legal rule that a defendant may be deemed to know something if he is deliberately closing his eyes to the truth. (laughs) Trump was told countless times by advisors and by more than five dozen courts that he had lost and had no valid legal recourse on January 6th. He simply shut his eyes to that reality. Willful blindness can be used to establish only knowledge of a fact, the fact being I lost the election, not a criminal intent, but the questions of knowledge and intent can intertwine. If Trump knew he lost the election, that would strongly reinforce the case that he acted with criminal intent in trying to overturn the election despite that knowledge. Prosecutors considering whether to charge Trump with, say, conspiring to obstruct the congressional certification of the electoral vote now have a near smoking gun evidence of intent. Even if Trump was detached from reality, as former Attorney General Bill Barr put it, he's still responsible for his actions. And now it's clearer than ever that Trump intended to stay in office by any means necessary, even violent ones. Absolutely. I love the way this case is building. They're doing a damn good job. Now, back to another case when nine accused leaders of the Oath Keepers go on trial this fall to face seditious conspiracy charges for their role in the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. Jurors. In the government's first big showcase trial, we'll hear a defense argument that will sound outlandish to many. Jurors will be told that the far-right extremists believe that Donald Trump would invoke the Insurrection Act as they gathered at the Capitol, a hundred strong in their camo-colored tactical gear, and turn them into his own ultra-loyal federal militia. All right? Now, their fantasy mission? To stop the steal, defend the president, defeat the deep state. And that's according... That's according to since-deleted rhetoric from their own website, okay? (laughs) Now, a defiant Trump would officially be their commander-in-chief, which could you not have a worse leader, my God. But to quote, do not concede and do not wait until January 20, 2021, Inauguration Day. Strike now, the Oath Keepers leader and founder Elmer Stewart Rhodes urged in an open letter to Trump on December 14th of 2020. 
you must call us up and command us. And you remember when he was like, stand back and stand by? Mm-hmm. That's all they fucking heard that day. Yeah. And that open letter, by the way, happening on December 14th, 2020, five days later, the tweet went out. Come to January 6th. We'll be wild. Yep. Now, James Lee Bride, a lawyer for Rhodes, acknowledged that most people would be shocked to learn that the Oath Keepers thought they'd become a federal militia. They believe what? Bright imagined people thinking, these guys are fucking crazy. He nonetheless hopes to convince jurors that the pro-Trump anti-government group had two lawful and non-seditious reasons to be at the Capitol on January 6th. Reason one, this is their defense. They were an invited security force for rally planners and participants, including Roger Stone, Ali Alexander, Latinos for Trump, and Virginia Women for Trump. Now, reason two, they were awaiting Trump's orders. When those orders failed to come, Rose's lawyers will argue that the Oath Keepers left the Capitol. They had dinner at the Olive Garden and then collected the weapons and provisions they'd stashed and never used in their rooms at the Comfort Inn in Arlington, Virginia. Then they went home. Now, the feds argue in court papers that Oath Keepers' private chat messages show sedition with their real motives. So there's private chat the feds have Mm -hmm. that are saying that's bullshit. All of this is bullshit and we can prove it. Yeah. And the big question is, why did they think that Donald would invoke the Insurrection Act? Was that the plan? Who told them that? Was that discussed on the phone with between Meadows and Bannon or Flynn and Stone at the Willard War Room on January 5th? Was it discussed at other times? Flynn, we know his his message, along with the pillow man to Donald Trump, was to invoke the Insurrection Act. Is that what Donald Trump was trying to do when he wanted to go to the Capitol? With, you know, when he when he was lunging at the Secret Service guys driving the driving the SUV, was that the plan was to get there and invoke the Insurrection Act, call up these militias that had boatloads of guns and boats ready to cross the Potomac? What what was the goal? What was it written down? And, And I think that some of those answers might come out in the next couple of hearings. Wonderful. You know, I know we've been waiting and a lot of people are like, this needs to happen faster. You got to think about what's happened in the last month with these hearings a lot. This thing has been flying by. Yeah, it truly has. And, you know, we're on this. We're on the Watergate timeline, really. And this is 10 times bigger. And if we stay on the Watergate timeline and if they do decide to indict Donald Trump and as which is according to George Conway, Eliasson, Barb McQuaid, Joyce Vance, just got a lot easier with Hutchinson's testimony if they do decide to indict him. The indictments in Watergate came nine months after the hearings. Now, we have, I think, a lot more evidence now, as as I think DOJ was trying to get the tapes for a very long time in, in Watergate. But, um, you know, if we're going along the same timeline, we're looking at spring of next year for indictments. But you know, like I said, there's more evidence now of more crimes now than I think they had in Watergate. But it's a lot bulkier of a process because of having to go through electronics devices, terabytes of data, having to share that with defense. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it, who knows? But we're on still a pretty fast timeline, I, I would say. Yeah. I just want to let everybody know that. And I know we don't have a lot of time. I do know that. (laughs) I do understand that. But not having a lot of time doesn't make investigations or review of evidence go any any faster. I'm hoping the 131 lawyers they added and prosecutors they added are helping take a bite out of that work. I think maybe enlisting the Office of the Inspector General to assist with some of these investigations, like the 
usurping of Eastman and Clark's phones might be helping push this along a little bit faster using every resource that they can. I personally, like, and you know, I've said this, Dana and I've talked with Pete Strzok about this. I would have liked to have seen a bigger sense of urgency and more money thrown at this early on. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, but here we are. And uh, we will see what happens. But I I do think we are closer to an indictment of Donald than we poss- than we were uh, previously before this Hutchinson testimony. A hundred percent. I would agree. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back with the author of The Invisible Storm, new book out today by Jason Kander. Please stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, let's talk about something I use literally every day and it was so easy and convenient to put into my habit. I started taking Athletic Greens AG1 because I wanted more energy and an optimized immune system and I wanted to save myself time and money over the cabinet full of supplements and superfoods and probiotics that I used to take before. With one delicious scoop of AG1 by Athletic Greens, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, your energy recovery focus, and your aging. All of the things. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. And right now they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. They are a climate-neutral certified company, which is important to me and the show. And they're incredibly lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever it is, it's fine. And Athletic Greens will fit into your diet perfectly and your routine. It saves me so much time and it tastes delicious. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every morning. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, again, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today again by my friend, veteran and host of the Majority 54 podcast and now author of The Invisible Storm, a soldier's memoir of politics and PTSD. Please welcome Jason Kander. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Again, thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you do. You too. Especially in increasing awareness of PTSD, which I also get to have for the rest of my life. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) You're quite welcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's so important, though. And so were a lot of the messages that you've put out. People know who you are, even if they don't know that they know who you are. Give everyone sort of a recap of, of where they have seen you. Uh, sure. Okay. Easiest thing is a lot of people, the short version is I'm the guy from the gun ad. I'm the guy who put the rifle together in 2016 in the ad where I was making my case for background checks. I was blindfolded, putting a rifle together. That's where a lot of people quote unquote discovered me. Um, but I am a recovering politician, former secretary of state of Missouri, who, uh, in 2018 was like me and a dozen other people at least a couple dozen people we're getting ready to run for president in 2020. And I also am an Afghanistan veteran who was struggling uh, with undiagnosed, untreated post-traumatic stress disorder, took myself off the presidential campaign trail to go to the mayoral campaign trail back home in Kansas City. That was going great from a campaign perspective. I was going to win, uh, but things were getting worse and worse for me uh, upstairs, so to speak. And uh, I ended up with pretty serious suicidal thoughts 
found myself in the suicide hold at the emergency room at the VA here in Kansas City, dropped out of the mayoral race, dropped out of public life, went to get treatment at the VA for a few months. And uh, now I've spent the last almost four years of my life in post-traumatic growth and doing things that make an impact. And I wrote a book about it. Yeah. And let's talk about making that impact because we're going to get in, we're going to dive into the book here. It's available now. Again, it's called Invisible Storm. And uh, you have uh, something that you're doing with the proceeds from this book. So talk a little bit about that, because that is right in line with the the making an impact that you're talking about. Yeah, thank you. So uh, my royalties from the book go to the fight against veteran suicide and veteran homelessness at Veterans Community Project, where I'm the president of National Expansion. Um, I thought that was a great use for the royalties, but I also want to make sure that anybody listening understands that this is not just a book for you know combat veterans or for people who have their PTSD as a result of the military, or even just people who have PTSD. Uh, you know, the first two chapters are about joining the military and going overseas. The rest of the book is your standard coming-of-age tale about a guy who's got a secret, undiagnosed, unknown to him psychological disorder, and is also happens to be pursuing the presidency at the same time. Um, so, you know, if you've heard that story before, don't buy the book. Uh, but but the chances are you haven't. And uh, and then the third act is a very in-detail account of what it's like to you know face your trauma head on in therapy. And the whole way through, it is also, you know, there are passages from my wife in the first person. She comes in throughout the book to give her account of what happened. And that's why I say it's really a book for anybody who has uh, either you know been close to somebody who's dealing with mental health challenges or has had them themselves. I really wanted to write the book that didn't exist, that needed to exist, that I needed 14 years ago, that I think might have helped me see that I needed to get help. Um, and it's funny in parts because you can't write a book like that and get people to read it if you don't put in some pretty good jokes. <laughs> yes, I, I concur wholeheartedly as someone who has a news show with swearing. You talk about <laughs> why this book is so important. And you mentioned you wish you had it 14 years ago. I think one of the most powerful messages that I've learned throughout my journey with, with PTS, PTSD and, and everyone else I've spoken to who may or may not have PTSD, but is just trying to get through a day is the message that you're not alone. That changed my entire world. It, it like immediately melted away all the gaslighting and self-doubt, right? Because gaslighting can come from yourself as well. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is one of the most important things. Talk a little bit about the book and how it assures other people and assuages their fears that they are alone, because I think that that's one of the biggest hurdles to get over. Well, trauma and any sort of mental health challenge is it's very isolating because one of the things that it does is it lies to you, gaslights you, as you said, and tells you that nobody else is going through this. This is just you. No one will understand. There's just something wrong with you. And with PTSD, in my experience, it also says, this isn't because you went to war. It's it's just something with you. It's not, it's, it doesn't have to do with your service. So for other people, that's, it's not your car accident. It's not surviving cancer. It's not losing a loved one. It's not your divorce. It's just you. And this is what you're like. And that's why, you know, so many people who have, who've read the book have, have said to me, and it's really gratifying, you know, people who like never were in the service or anything like that, or maybe didn't even have a particular trauma, but they just said that they were able to take a lot from the book about mental health. Because the truth is like, you know, I know the statistics say something like one in five Americans have trauma at some point in their life. My wife always says that that is ridiculously low. And that the truth is, is that every American probably has trauma five times in their life. And, and so I'm really gratified to hear from so many people who are, are saying that they can pull so much away from the book and that it's made them rethink all sorts of things about the way they're approaching certain parts of their life. 
And politics is woven in there, right? Because, I, you know, I would even venture to say and, and agree with your wife that even just living in America in the last five years has been traumatic. For sure. <laughs> and um, there's just so much stress and and feeling of being alone. And, and with these loud voices on extreme ends, the the most of the rest of us can feel drowned out and and alone. Right. And and I think that um, that is something else that that when you you're weaving politics and in, into into this story, which you have also experienced firsthand, that makes a big impact, I think, on every single American. Yeah. And the other thing I think it it does uh, in terms of reading the book is it it just it makes for a more interesting tale. Right. I mean, like I recognize that uh, had I been, you know, I don't know, uh, managing like a quick trip during my struggle, like it would still be a really important story, but probably fewer people would read it. And so, uh, you know, what I don't I don't I don't read political memoirs. I like I don't have an interest in reading books written by people to demonstrate to you like that they're the hero of every story. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like I wrote one once and like it did pretty well, but I don't think I'd have, you know, read it, uh, if someone else had written it. And, and so like, I, I, I wanted to put just enough in there for people who are interested in politics to show you what it's like behind the scenes and what those pressures are like. But I also didn't want it to feel like, Oh, well that's, that lesson doesn't apply to me because I wasn't running for president. Right. And at the same time, I wanted to put in enough so people could understand my experience in the military, my experience, why I would want to join the military, why it meant so much to me, but I didn't want to turn people off from the lessons in the book. If they're not my dad who has a library book or a library, you know, shelves full of books written by Stephen Koontz about the military. You know what I mean? Like, and, and a lot of people's dads, like I, I, I didn't want to turn those people off. And at the same time, everybody who's experienced mental health challenges and been in a relationship knows that both people in the relationship experience it. So that's why my wife's perspective is in there. Her own secondary post-traumatic stress is talked about by her in the book, because the other thing the book is, is a love story about a marriage surviving all this stuff. So the short version is that I wanted to write the third act of this book. That's what I was motivated to do, to take people inside the room where I got therapy so that they could see that it's not as daunting as they think and it's something they could do. But I knew that people wouldn't just read the third act that's just a guy in therapy, but that if you invest yourself in the story beforehand, and, you, and if I could write something that really grips them and takes them through a lot of different subjects that they're interested in, then they would fully absorb the third act. And so that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it did it really well. Tell, tell me about some of the humor, the humorous aspects oh. of this, because I found it, you know, after after I got out of the military, I spent 10 years as a stand up comic. And in hindsight, mm -hmm. looking at the material that I used, boy, uh, was it relevant. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about uh, how you manage to get humor in here, which is seriously one of my favorite coping mechanisms. Yeah, well, I mean, mine, too. And the first thing is, uh, Look, as you know well, uh, gallows humor is like a staple of the military existence, <laughs> yeah. and so there's plenty of that in there. And but I, I was sure to I made sure to do it in a way where you didn't have to be in the military to, to grasp it. Um, but there's also stuff like just absurd situation. I mean, the book opens with uh, you know I'll, I'll just tell you the story that opens the book because I kind of open the book with a scene from the middle of the story, and then the first half of the book is me getting you back to that point, and then the second half is going beyond it. And the scene I opened the book with is my first day at the VA, you know, um, I show up, uh, and at that point, you know, I show up at the VA in Kansas city and I'm not looking too good. Like I'm there cause I'm having suicidal thoughts and everybody's recognizing me, uh, which, you know, was like a little embarrassing, but especially 
when I get checked into the suicide hold in the emergency department at the VA, and I can tell everybody's being professional, but you can tell by double takes that they're recognizing me. I mean, at the time I was the far and away front runner for mayor and I had run for the US Senate in the state and I'd been just recently basically a presidential candidate. So it was like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and maybe a couple other people were better known than me in Kansas City, but that was it. And that was usually a great thing as a politician, but not so much in the psych ward. And so I'm getting checked in and, uh, and then I end up, you know, they take all my belongings away and I'm sitting there in my um, scrubs that they've given me that are several sizes too big. And I've kind of got my arms wrapped around my knees, which are pulled up to my chest. And this uh, young resident, uh, psych resident comes in. And I'm at first like super relieved that he doesn't seem to have any idea who I am. And we talk for a half hour and I'm explaining stuff to him that I've never told anybody but my wife at that point, which were my night terrors, my hypervigilance, my self-loathing, my suicidal thoughts and my depression and everything. And that, you know, we're having that conversation about a half hour into it. He says, so do you have like a particularly stressful job or something? And, uh, and I'm like, well, I'm in politics. And he says, well, what does that mean? So I kind of explain, you know, and like real briefly. And, uh, and he goes, well, has it been like really stressful the last year? Cause I'd gotten progressively worse over the year prior. And I said, well, uh, you know, I was going to run for president and I decided to run for mayor instead, but I'm going to call that off tomorrow and, and just get help. And he said, well, wait a minute, president of what? Yeah, yeah that's and, what I was going to be like, president of the Elvis fan club. He has no idea who you are. Yeah, I'm like a 37-year-old guy sitting there in pajamas that are five times too big on suicide watch explaining, yeah, I'm you know, a presidential candidate. And, uh, and I just felt ridiculous, but I was like, of the United States. And he says... Well, who told you you could run for president? So now he thinks you're delusional. <laughs> oh, totally. And at this point, I don't realize that. So I've gone from being mortified that people are recognizing me to relieve this guy didn't to now completely irritated that he doesn't believe me. So I just say, you know, I don't know what to tell you, man. I spent about an hour and a half just me and Obama in his office and he seemed to think it was a pretty good idea. And he kind of <laughs> absorbs that for a second, taps his notebook a couple of times and says, how often would you say you hear voices? <laughs> so, you know, there's stuff like that looking back or just the fact that like, like after we knew my wife and I knew that like we were dealing with PTSD, but before we got any therapy, we decided to get a dog. And the twist in the book is that, you know, we should have got a service dog, but instead we were just hypervigilant and thought we were in danger all the time and hadn't had any therapy. So we got a protection dog. Uh, so basically I got a dog with PTSD and my wife and I became her service animals to try and calm her down. And so part of the book is just like me and my dog, Talia and my wife and all of us, like basically going to therapy at the same time and, uh, us figuring out what to do with the fact that instead of a, you know, a nice fuzzy dog that would like wake me up from my nightmares and do service animal things, I, we adopted Jason Bourne instead. And, uh, so, you know, there's just, there's stuff in there. There's gotta be levity because otherwise how do you live through slash read through a tale like that. Yeah. Or yeah. And live through, I think is the key is the key, right? Mm -hmm. Because I totally a hundred percent understand where you're coming from. And that that gala's humor born from serving, you know, if you had a sense of humor before you went in, it got real dark Yeah, <laughs> as you served. But, you know, I appreciate you talking to us today and taking time. And I really encourage everybody to read this book. There's something in it for everyone. It's not, you don't have to have PTSD. You don't have to have been in politics. Although I'd wager that uh, most of the listeners of this program have touched either of those, if not both, <laughs> in their tenure. So it's called Invisible Storm, A Soldier's Memoir of Politics and PTSD. 
The author is Jason Kander. Also, tell us a little bit before we get out of here about Majority 54. Oh, thanks for asking. Um, so yeah, Majority 54 is is my podcast that I co-host with uh, Ravi Gupta. And we uh, focus on taking progressive messages and values and helping listeners you know, convince the people in their lives without losing those relationships. Um, because we think that that's the most effective way is if this happens person to person. And, uh, you know, we, we both happen to be people who, uh, are veterans of, you know, progressive campaigns in red States. And we kind of take those skills to help people communicate with the people in their lives. And I think it was going to make everybody feel awesome that when they buy this book, knowing royalties, your royalties are going to help veterans, both suicide and homelessness in, in the VA and the veteran community. And I think that that's just incredibly awesome of you for doing that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Allison, very much. I appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. I want to know more and I'm looking for another book from you. I know that they're hard to write, but we, I look forward to another one. Everybody, Jason Kander, you can also follow him on Twitter at Jason Kander. It's an excellent Twitter follow. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Sleep is one of my favorite things. It's a foundation for a healthy life. So if you're having difficult times sleeping, I recommend Helix Sleep. They saved me. They have an online two-minute sleep quiz that you can complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? It makes it hard to sleep. Everybody is unique. Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. They have a body temperature regulating mattresses, and they even have a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz online. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper, and I prefer a medium-firm mattress. And it has increased my ability to sleep exponentially. I cannot recommend it enough. So if you're looking for a mattress, head to helixsleep.com dailybeans, take the quiz, order the mattress they match you to, and the mattress will come right to your door, shipped for free. They even have a 10-year warranty. They have financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. And you get to try it out for 100 sleeps with no risk. They will come and pick it up for you and give you a full refund if you don't like it. But you will love it. Plus, Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And they've been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. And again, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news or corrections or confessions or misheard song lyrics or uh, hilarious um, closed captioning problems. Uh, you could send us anything, Whoopi stories, Halloween photos, pets available for adoption in your area at uh, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. And I think this is the final couple of days that we're going to allow the imposter feed of the Daily Beans to be out there. So if you haven't yet, if you listen on Apple and you're not a premium subscriber, go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase. Make sure you're following the right version of this podcast so it keeps showing up in your uh, in your player. First up from Greg, pronouns he and him. Pronunciation correction. Afrata is pronounced Afrata. My mom's family was born in Honeybrook. My pet tax, well, I guess that's nearby there. My pet tax is Pedro. 
house panther showing the blip. Look at this guy. That is adorable. I feel like Pedro, like I understand he's not, but he's like an English detective. Like Pedro was definitely a human being of some sort. There's too much person in this cat. (laughs) He's so cool. I love him. Thank you for that. And I'll hit the next one too from Teddy. No pronouns given. You said you were needed some good news and pictures. So here you go, Beans Queens. Thanks for your podcast. <gasps> Look. Look at the yeah, can we talk about the baby cow? Oh, it's I a Dalmatian. It's a Dalmatian, a baby Dalmatian. Dalmatian. Of course it is. <laughs> oh, and then look, Millie Close doing her best ET. Imitation. Oh my God, that's really funny. Thank you for that. Thank, Thank you. you so much. We need these today. We do. All right. This is from Lisa. Pronoun she and her. Long story. So apologies in advance. On Wednesday, the 23rd of March, I had a serious fall off my young horse and ended up our state's trauma hospital for six days. Jesus. Fortunately for living in Australia, all I left with was a stack of reports and scans and zero dollars in bills. I managed to break my arm, my ribs, my back, tear my spleen and lose a kidney. Jesus Christ, Lisa. Lisa. Also suffered head trauma, which resulted in a false aneurysm, which was operated on last Tuesday. My God. And at the exact same time, I was trying to get back on my feet. My horse had an adverse reaction to steroids, which were being used to treat her uh, avitis. Uveitis. Uveitis. Thank you. She ended up having a three-hour surgery to both eyes and was essentially blind for three weeks. It was an awful experience for both of us. And there were days where I doubted my decision to have the surgery as she was in so much discomfort. Well, on Friday, she had another checkup. And on Saturday, I got back on her. My first ride back since my accident. The view was one that I didn't think I would ever see again. And I didn't know how much time I'd have with her, but she is the puzzle piece that makes my heart complete. Thank you for making the awful news coming at us every day just a little more tolerable with your humor and wit. Lisa, my goodness, I'm glad you are alive. Those injuries are horrible, and I'm so glad the horse is okay. Yeah, and you got back up on her. I know, literally back up on the horse. It's not a... You know, it's not a saying for nothing. And oh, I'm so happy you're living in Australia and you had zero dollars in medical yeah. bills. That's just so. Oh, right. I have a comedian friend and she's not from Australia, but she's from London. She talks about if she ever like lost her leg, like if she ever severed her leg. She would buy two first class airline tickets, one for her, one for the leg. And it would be cheaper than getting medical <laughs> medical help in the United States. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. I'm so glad you're back up on the horse. I'm so glad that you're healing. I'm so glad the horse is doing better too. How terrifying to be blind for for three weeks, especially your best friend. Oh, that's awful. But I'm glad everything is looking on the up and up. Next up from Gwendolyn, no pronouns given. Hello, Beans Queens. I was just going to send a picture per the request in Friday's episode, but then I remembered I had an interesting tidbit to share. My grandfather was the type of man who thought parents should be the ones to guide children and do any necessary correcting or discipline, and grandparents should only enjoy and love grandchildren. I think that's pretty common. As a result, the only time I ever saw my grandfather angry was when he was yelling at a cop that he thought was treating somebody unfairly. That has stuck with me for 30 years now. The only time I ever saw my pat-pap angry was on someone else's behalf. Pet tax is my then tiny kitten Clancy, who is now bigger than our cavalier. <laughs> May we all find a bit of Zen. Oh my uh, God. He has clearly found. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the second picture. I know. I mean, honestly, the first picture makes me happier for some reason. The profile picture of this cat. <laughs> that is fan freaking tastic. What a beauty. I wonder if the belly is a trap or if you can pet that belly. That's a good question. 
All right, AG, thank you so much. And this last story comes from Mason, pronounce he, him, dear Allison and Dana. Your Thursday Daily Beans, Patsy Baloney, was my very first episode. And since I am not the kind of person to write a no thank you email to a podcast, it's safe to conclude that you have won me over (laughs) as a listener. I was worried for I was like, where the fuck is this going? Like, uh uh-oh. Oh, shit. We already already lost Mason. Okay. Patsy Baloney in quotes. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. (laughs) Now, the best bad closed caption I saw was the phrase proud boyardee. Dominant pizza roll. <laughs> Dominic Pizzola. <laughs> <laughs> Proud boy. Boy, our dominant pizza roll. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was in place of Proud Boy's leader, Dominic Pizzola. It sounds like something that would give me stomach problems. So in that respect, the captions were accurate. I'm actually writing about an exchange that took place during the good news segment of Patsy Baloney. You were going through listener submissions and Dana requested all the baby pictures. And then Allison said, any frog orgies you have, send them my way. (laughs) Allison then seemed to address me directly. And quote, if you're brand new for some reason to the Daily Beans today, I'm not going to explain the frog orgy joke. If you're new to the show today, go look up the episode Charismatic Megaplastics and enjoy your day. Let me tell you, I did, and I did. When you recommend it, did you remember the release date was January 5th, 2021? It's an outstanding episode for everyone to revisit. I believe to date, there has been a select committee hearing about each of the hot notes from that show. Bananas. Oh, Oh, that was the day before the insurrection. Now, I'd like to point out a clip from Patsy Baloney from 1518 to 1555, if you want the audio, quoting A.G. And then there goes into quotes. The number one, number two, and number four people at the Pentagon are now just non-military. Idiotic Trump psychophants. I I call them psychophants because they're psychophants. And so everyone's questioning whether or not he's going to invoke the Insurrection Act and try to have the military force a rerun of the elections in these swing states. This is going to be tough to do. And then, of course, you have Louis Gomer and all these other Republicans trying to incite violence on Wednesday in the Capitol. But interestingly enough, the head of the Proud Boys was arrested for destruction of property. And Mason says, that's when I subscribed. I was so impressed and chilled that I forgot why I listened to that particular Daily Beans in the first place. I'll have you know that the inside joke, the one about why Allison was all about frog orgies, was not explained. <laughs> so wait, was that quote from, that wasn't from Patsy Baloney. No, that, that was, was from, from January 5th, 2021, from the Megaplastics episode. Oh, wow. That's what I'm understanding. Like, we, you were foreseeing the future. Yeah. Yeah, number one, number two, number four at the Pentagon are just now non-military idiotic sycophants. And so everyone's questioning whether or not he's going to invoke the Insurrection Act and try to have the military force a return of the elections in these states. Which is states. so interesting because we just fucking about talked about that on today's episode. <sighs> Crazy wow. pants. All right, Miss Cleo. He goes on to say there was some <laughs> talk about a two-headed, quote, rubber snake, which you named Loffler and Purdue, but no mention of frogs. Now, I don't know if the human body will let itself expitiate from laughter but the room around me started to go dark during several points in dana's performance of the tale that's when i signed up to be a patreon 
I want to be here when you report the news of Orange Julius Caesar and his co-conspirators getting frog-marched into custody. May that day arrive soon. Mason, welcome to the fucking family. I love the submission so much. Yeah, no, I was saying separately, a couple of days ago, I think was the frog orgy inside joke, right? Yes, yes. Like last week sometime. But then I said, and also, if you're brand new, you should really check out Charismatic Megaplastics. And now I want to re-listen to it based on this, what you've got here. Like, damn, we were on the fifth talking about... Uh, I know. It's like a Simpsons episode. The Insurrection <laughs> Act. And Louis Gohmert and Republicans inciting violence on... Trying to incite violence on Wednesday in the so Capitol. crazy. The day before it happened. Um... That's nuts. But interestingly enough, I said the head of the Proud Boys was arrested for destruction of property. Huh. Proud Boys. Gomert. Insurrection Act. Talking about it all the day before it happened. Okay. You just you just made me blow my own mind, Mason. That Thank was you. pretty crazy. <laughs> I know. But yeah, the, the Loeffler and Purdue double-ended dildo. Um, I mean, it's so good. <laughs> Dana's performance during that episode was. I'd like to thank you. I should have gotten a Webby. <laughs> you should have. I, I I submitted that episode for Webby consideration <laughs> and we got an honorable mention. Perfect. But, but we should have won the entire fucking oh, thing. For and sure. I wish and I I have to look at the award because it, it might say charismatic megaplastics. Oh, that would be amazing. Does, that would truly be incredible. All right, you know what? I'm going to rerun that episode at some point uh, in this feed just as a bonus. Uh, maybe maybe I'll do it next Sunday for uh, in- instead of a, a Mueller She Wrote episode. That sounds that sounds reasonable. There you go. So Mason, if you're also not listening to Mueller She Wrote and the MSW Book Club, that that exists as well. And then of course I do a podcast with Andrew Torres called Clean Up on Aisle 45, which is a little more wonky legal legally speaking. Because he's a real life lawyer and um, we get into the weeds, the legal weeds of some of these filings, um, these court filings. So anyway, thank you and welcome. Yes, welcome to the family. And uh, anybody else, if you know anybody who would really benefit from some kind of charismatic megaplastics type episodes and news with swearing, invite as many people as you would like to listen. And uh, if you want to become a patron, we're doing the patron sponsoring patrons. I believe we have a couple of free one year subscriptions to give away. And you can donate one. You can donate a year's worth of premium feed to someone who can't swing it right now. It's only 36 bucks for the whole year. And you can do that at dailybeanspod.com. And they'll like right on the front page, it'll be patrons sponsoring patrons, I think is what it says. You just click on that and uh, you can either be put on the list to get a free year or you can buy a free year for someone. It's pretty cool. All right. Thank you so much, Dana. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Um, no final thoughts today. Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. And everybody, seriously, these are tough, tough times. So please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health. Take care of the planet and vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I have been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>